Well, hello, everyone. I'm Adrian Warnock, and I'm here with uh, my good friend, Michael Brown. Nice to meet you, uh, Dr. Brown, uh, on yes. this video forum. Good to, good to be online with you. Excellent. Um, okay, so, um, Michael, it's really fantastic you could join us. And, of course, you and I, really, we met uh, through um, the Strange Fire uh, controversy, didn't we? I, I have to confess, I'd, I'd never really heard of you before then, and I don't think you'd ever heard of me either, let's be honest. So. That's correct. <laughs> but it's a funny thing how um, a, a sort of massive controversy like that could uh, bring us uh, together uh, in a way, really. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of the positive byproducts. I ended up reconnecting with folks I hadn't been connected with in some years and meeting new folks like you as well. So it was a, a positive and unexpected fruit of the Strange Fire Conference. Yeah, it sure was. Um, and I mean, it's interesting to me, actually, because obviously, in some ways, the hoopla has died down. And yet, I don't know how you find it. But in my um, on my web page, I have a sort of like weekly most popular posts. And uh, one or two of my posts from, from that time is still right up there in the top 10 e either each week. So there are still, I think, new people discovering that whole controversy and, and going, whoa, what on earth is that about? Yeah, I, things certainly have died down. Of course, there was a lot of promotion leading up to the conference for many, many months and then the publication of Pastor MacArthur's book. But uh, what I've seen, though, is on the one hand, it's pretty much put people in different camps. It has highlighted differences more. On the other hand, uh, with everything happening in our society all around us and just a lot of junk, uh, worldly stuff in opposition to the church, uh, there are folks that were against me during the Strange Fire Conference time that are, that are back to working together on the larger issues, saying, hey, we're still brothers and sisters, and we, we, we still have to stand for the gospel and our culture. And the other thing is, look, uh, no insult to Pastor MacArthur or the sincere folks who participated in the conference, but it is an increasingly minority position as the Holy Spirit is being poured out so wonderfully around the world. My regret, though, is that with so much of the Pentecostal charismatic movement in different countries being as, as new as it is, it's a shame that those who have some valid criticisms can't join arms with us and say, hey, let's work together to help bring this new thing to maturity. No, I think that's right. And I think there's a, there's a big kind of cultural difference that I think as well between certainly the more what I call the sort of the, the strong or the hard cessationists. Um, and, and I mean, there's obviously soft cessationists as well who would still have a similar doctrinal view, but would be a bit more like, hey, these guys are our brothers. And actually some of them, interestingly, I mean, Steve Camp was a good example, who, who when I debated him, he described really um, experiences of God that, that you and I would call prophecy. Uh, he didn't want to call it that uh, theologically, but he had an encounter with God, an experience of God that, that I guess meant that he was more relaxed about it than some of the hard, harder guys. I mean, you've probably met people like that as well. Yeah, absolutely. What I do find, though, is that because on the charismatic side, we might be more open to work with a broader group of people. Yeah. One of the points I made in my Authentic Fire book is that a strength of charismatics is we might be willing to step out in faith more and, and, and seek to obey God. And a weakness would be there could be gullibility and lack of discernment yeah. with that. On the cessationist part, they're going to be more circumspect and weighing things even more. The weakness could be there could be some cynicism and skepticism that creeps in. So yeah. I might work with someone for the broader purposes of the gospel that I don't agree with the way they raise money or every little yeah. doctrinal point, but I see them as a brother 
preaching Jesus, the fact I would associate with such a person then puts me in the complete deceived heretical camp yeah, and some yeah. of the hardline cessationists. So that's, that was also interesting to watch. Yeah. You know, the fact that I accepted an invitation to be on Benny Hinn's TV show. Oh, uh, and and I, yeah. I thought it would be a good opportunity to get certain messages out. We, were, we did a show on Hypergrace. It, it still didn't air. But I thought, well, good. Uh, I can build a relationship. I'm going to go in with a clean slate, see if I yeah. can be a blessing in my brother's life. The fact they even did that now put me in the camp of, look how deceived and undiscerning <laughs> you are, which is my thing was, hey, I would work with John MacArthur. I would work with different ones. And if there are issues – because you hear good and bad about everybody. Yeah. If there are issues, then I can hopefully be a blessing in that person's life and address those issues. But no, yeah. no, that doesn't work in some camps. Yeah, no. And I think that's, I mean, I think it's a good point because it's one of the things I wanted to sort of talk about uh, almost as a bit of a segue into the hyper grace thing, um, <clears throat> which is that it seems to me that, you know, there's two different approaches to how loose or how tight you want to be in your relationships. And of course, it's not a clear-cut black or white. Um, there's a sort of gray in the middle as well. But there are some people who are like, I only really want to be close with people who think the same as me. Um, and of course, if you start saying, you know, they've got to think the same as me, as me on baptism, they've got to think the same as me on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they've got to think the same as me on, I don't know, the role of women, they've got to think the same as me on precise details of grace, and you can go on and on and on and on, and end up, you know, almost working on your own if you're not careful. Right. Do you think that's then right? You Oh, oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. We must all recognize that none of us have it all, yes. that we're all part of the larger body. There are hills I'll die on. There are areas I, I, I'll lose everything before I'll compromise a conviction. But there are plenty of other areas where, where I ha have a conviction, but I'm willing to work with those of other convictions. And then other areas where it would be foolish for me to think I'm right on every last point. Yeah. And uh, in, in point of fact, one of my good friends and colleagues, Dr. James White, an apologist, uh, is a Calvinist. I'm not. You are. Uh, and here we are doing a friendly interview. He's, yeah. he's not a hardline cessationist, but basically on the cessationist side, we've debated against each other on predestination and, and election and cessationism and things like that. But we are absolutely colleagues. And, and we debated on the same team against heretics and are looking to debate others. We just can't find any other folks willing to debate. So this, the same way, I appreciate the folks in the Strange Fire camp, to, to use that broadly, for their uncompromising stand on many issues and their unashamed position for the gospel while differing. The problem is when I see something bringing harm to the body or yeah. division to the body, I want to try to address it, but in a way that will not polarize even more. And that's the challenge, to address things that yeah. we feel are dangerous or disruptive without further polarizing an already polarized body. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. See, one of the problems is that, so for example, people that I know said to me, uh, once they heard about the whole strange fire thing, that they didn't want to hear John, John, John MacArthur anymore, um, you know, that they were going to stop listening to his radio show, or they're going to stop reading his... And I thought that was a shame, because on so many other issues, of course, he's got a lot that could uh, help us on or encourage mm -hmm. us on, or, or at the very least challenge you. Because I think sometimes it's great to read stuff, you know, from, from other people, just to see what it is they're really saying and, and, and why they're saying. And of course, sometimes it's a language thing. And I think, you know, you mentioned Arminianism, Calvinism, you know, very often, I'm not saying that there are no clear distinctions, but certainly for the softer people in both camps, it can be really about 
what words we use to describe things or you know i mean i said to steve Camp, look if you're going to define prophecy as something that is 100 percent authoritative uh that you know uh is the almost the words of god uh and that you know you cannot question um and that it's fully inspired by god well then i'd agree with you it stopped you know? Right. Um, yes. But, but, but if I could persuade him that it's you know always to be weighed by scripture, uh, that it's you know um, always fallible because we're fallible. You know that it's a, a lesser gift. Uh, you know that actually, in a sense, it's different. Certainly to the Old Testament prophecy, and, and arguably even in some cases to certain people in the New Testament. Well, certainly to the apostles in the New Testament when they were speaking uh, in a way that would then be written into scripture. Uh, you know, you, you sort of think, well, actually, he'd probably agree that it continued, you know, so it's kind of like, right. but he'd want to call it something different. He'd want to say it was, I don't know, impressions or something or, or, or whatever. But, you know, and it's the same with so many of these issues that you first have to understand what it is someone's saying precisely, how they are using certain words and what they mean by those words, and then whether there really is a difference that's important or that's maybe not so important or, or, or you know, maybe it's important, but we can still love each other as brothers, you know? Exactly. A lot of it is semantics. A lot of it is is emphasis and approach. And it, it really is important to understand each other before we differ. When I do apologetics, I, I give two very simple principles in terms of doing effective apologetics. The, the first one is that you have to rightly understand the other person's objection. Because I've watched people just pass each other like ships in the night. Yeah. So a good way to know that you're doing that is to say, okay, in your own words, am I rightly understanding that this is your issue and present it back to them in their own words, yeah. uh, excuse me, in your own words, yes. and if it's to their satisfaction, then you've rightly understood it. Look, it works mm. with a husband-wife dispute. You can, just, <laughs> you, can just, yeah, you can just react to each other or you can yeah. say, hey, do I understand that what's bothering you is this? And then my second principle is that you have to feel the weight of the objection, which is a much more painful <laughs> yeah. uh, ex uh, exercise that requires a lot of empathy and really trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes, which we're often unwilling to do because it's too costly. Yeah. And I don't want to get too close to their point of view. Otherwise, mine not be, yeah. might, might not be as secure. It points to a weakness in our own position. But, but I think it's important that we get to know each other, that we sit face to face. For, for example, James White and I were, were filming some debates in in Spain that were going to be broadcast into England on Christian TV. Oh, yeah. And over lunch, he just wanted to plainly tell me why he thought it was a wrong, wrong decision to go on with Benny Hinn at all. And yeah. he immediately posted that on Facebook. It only enhanced my appreciation for him. And I gave him my reasons and, and what I thought were strategies that could bring to, you know, through long-term fruit that could potentially yeah. come out of it. But here we could talk totally candidly sure. and, and understand each other better and walk Good. away with a difference. And it, it, it only deepened our appreciation for one another yeah. and our commitment to larger issues. Yeah. Sometimes we're, we're not even allowed to talk to each other. It's, and and look, I, I love debating. I, I love the sharpening that can come out of it and it sharpens your position and the other person's position and people can really listen and watch and come to their own conclusions. But so much of the time, my goal is to sit privately and interact with people, to Very reach good. out privately, to sit down, to say, yeah. okay, let's see where we differ. Let's see where we're missing, understanding each other. You know what I find also? A lot of people had a bad experience somewhere. Mm. And uh, I've, I've heard from a lot of former charismatics since uh, my book, Authentic Fire, came out. Yeah 
which is just a few weeks after Strange Fire came out, and they've said to me, I have to confess, I am cessationist because of bad experiences I had in yeah. a charismatic church. I got burned here or a false prophecy yeah. there, or they said my dad was going to be healed and he wasn't, whatever. And they yeah. said, but I have to confess, it's not based on scripture. Reading your book, I realized that the scriptures do speak of the gifts and power of the spirit yeah. that were operative in the New Testament being operative today. And now I want to recover those things. But we, we can all do that. We react against an extreme Look, you could even have that, that you go to a Reformed church, and while in that Reformed church, the pastor is heavy-handed and, and gives you counsel that burns you and your family, and then you become anti-Calvinist. Yeah, it has nothing to do with Calvinism. It's just a reaction. So that's why we've tried it. We have to get deeper and talk to each other. And look, yeah. truth is truth. I understand that. But yeah. sometimes we talk past each other or we caricature each other in our desire to win a theological battle. Yeah. And of course, I think one of the things that perhaps did sting us a little bit, uh, if we're honest, uh, for, for us charismatics, uh, with the whole strange fire thing, and, it, and it, it stung because it's kind of a bit true, is that one of the criticisms was that we don't have a tendency to criticize uh, at all. And it's an interesting thing. You know, we would argue that perhaps some of those, you know, rigid people uh, criticize too much. I think it would be fair to say um, that it's not fair to say that we don't criticize at all, because we do. And I know you've got a long history of, of critiquing things in the charismatic movement that are, that are uh, you know, less than savoury. Uh, but I think, you know, again, perhaps because the movement's young, we don't have as many theological colleges and all that. We, we don't tend to have a reputation anyway to be doctrinally accurate, should we say. Yeah, I, I felt that that was a fair criticism. And as you noted for many, many years, as an insider, as part of the charismatic Pentecostal movement, I've addressed issues and raised issues and, and, and spoken out. The problem for the cessationists is they want me to name names yeah. just about every day on my radio show. Call yeah. this one out, call that yeah. one out, call that one out. And for me, that's an unhealthy practice to engage in as yeah. a practice. Yeah. There are, you know, for example, I played a clip from Benny Hinn that was sent to me and, and uh, was passed on to me within our ministry. And I didn't realize that he had renounced that teaching over 20 years ago. Now, it doesn't wow. mean there are other things that he teaches that, that I wouldn't take issue with on a certain level. But that was an extreme one. I said, I'm just sorry to say that's wrong and, and so on. Well, I didn't realize he had renounced that literally over 20 years ago. So wow. because my ministry is not primarily a, quote, watchman discernment ministry, I'm not monitoring all of the charismatic preaching on TV. In fact, most of it I can't yeah. stomach. I watch yeah. a couple of minutes or some fundraising thing, and I, I shut it off entirely, and I'll make broad statements about the issues that I have. Yeah. But yeah. that being said, without question, it's a fair criticism uh, that, that either we don't want to quench the spirit or, or some people you know, have this you know, touch not my anointed mentality mm. or we don't have proper theological training. Uh, whatever the case is, it definitely is a weakness, just like in the cessationist camp, uh, doctrinal coldness, yes. uh, just theological correctness can be a weakness, you know, yeah. all head and no heart. Well, the other extreme can be all heart and no head. Yeah. It should be all heart and all head. Yeah, that's very good. It should be how very we good. serve God. So I'm grateful for that. I'm yeah. grateful for the push. Uh, I don't know that, that those that are in error – 
in a serious way within the charismatic movement could care less about the strange fire conference. And they probably yeah. took it as confirmation that they're doing the right thing. And all these Pharisees, look at how wrong they are, which yeah. would be a shame. Yeah. But, I, but I hope on some other levels that there's more self-correcting. And, and I, for one, again, welcome that and appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I think we'll see more of that. Now, of course, one of the things that uh, you've done recently is written a book, um, Hyper Grace. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, most of the people uh, that you're sort of taking aim at in that are, are probably from the charismatic camp. Although I'm a little unsure about the kind of extent of it and how much of it is sort of coordinated or whether it's just a tendency that you're, that you're worried about. Is it really an anti-nominal tendency or that, that arises separately? Or do you see it as a, as a coordinated movement? Uh, it's it's both and I've I've been interested to see the coordinated level of response against my book the coordinated level of people all saying hey we're part of this grace revolution or we're part of this grace movement now they may look to one or two leaders as the key leaders and may not be all working together with those key leaders but many of them it seems do conferences together many of them are endorsing one another's books so it's not like some denominational movement yeah. but definitely a movement where people feel hey we're all preaching the same thing this is some great thing god is doing in the body and to be candid adrian i was not looking for this issue to to deal with I had been working on and off over the last few years on a book about contemporary errors and issues that were concerning me that were presenting themselves frequently enough that, that I was being burdened with them. But uh, I, I didn't really move forward with, with a sense of anointing and real grace to write until I focused on the hypergrace issues, and they came to me. Uh, we post a lot on social media, as you do. I use Facebook, I really use, use Twitter a lot. Uh, but I would post a scripture verse or an exhortation, you know, let's run our race or something. And I would get, you know, hundreds of positive amens and responses and yes, and boy, that speaks to me. And then I'd see other people chiming in, you're not putting me under legalistic bondage. Or that's just behavior modification and sin management. I'd find the same phrases occurring over yeah. and over again. I'd find reactions against scripture verses. I just post a scripture verse about be holy and, and someone would come with their theology. So that's when I started to trace it back and say, okay, who are the principal people teaching these things? Hmm. And then I started to get their books. And as I got the books of men like Joseph Prince or, or uh, uh, Clark Witten or, or Steve McVeigh or Paul Ellis or others, as I read their books, I prayed, Father, show me anything these servants of yours have that I'm missing. Show me any revelation of grace that I'm missing. Even if I'm differing with certain things, if there's something they're bringing that I need to see or something fresh I need in my life, or if there's legalism or legalistic tendencies, I asked God to, to reveal that as I read. So again, I didn't come at this as God's policeman. I feel it's a dangerous position, even though I have certain academic training and, and do teaching and have written commentaries and that kind of thing. Uh, it, it, so, so have many others. There are many other students of the word and, and people far deeper in God and his word than me that would differ on certain points. So I would keep putting down issues I had and then praying. And, and I wouldn't write until I felt I could write in a way that brought life, not just tearing down error but building up with truth. And the other factor, Adrian, was that literally wherever I would travel, 
uh, I'd sit down to speak at a church, having the first meal with the pastor there, a man I hadn't met before. And the first subject he brings up, hyper grace, either by that name or another name, and telling me they're having a crisis in their own church and or telling me about what's happening with churches in the area. And every single story was a negative story. When I wrote an article about it on Charisma and it, it went viral quickly, we, my inbox was flooded with people writing to me and through social media telling me horror stories. And they were all the, the same story, basically. So even if the leaders that were teaching and preaching these things did not intend for things to go in this direction, the way they were teaching, certain of the errors <clears throat> that were part of it were such that it led to this, this real problem that is growing. <clears throat> my, my great hope is that there will be a real course correction along the way because we're talking for the most part about brothers and sisters except for those that have gone completely off the deep end. So just to help me out a little bit and help uh, my readers out or listeners out who, who, who will not, may not know what it is really. What is hypergrace and what is this? You mentioned the same problem. What is the problem here? Sure. Uh, hypergrace is an exaggeration of the biblical message of grace. Paul uses the word hyper in Romans 5. So many folks within the hypergrace movement say, yes, grace should be hyper. It should be over and above. Well, this is over and above the scriptural message. And, and perhaps the most fundamental aspect of it is this, <clears throat> that the moment you are saved, God not only pronounces your past and present sins forgiven, but he also pronounces your future sins forgiven. We all agree Jesus paid for our sins. We all agree Jesus died to pay for all of our sins, and the provision is there. But when, when we got saved, that's the moment that forgiveness was applied to our lives and that God now looked at us as righteous children. Well, hypergrace it here and say, God did that already for all your future sins. So there's nothing you could ever do with sin in your life that would affect your relationship with God. Or the Holy Spirit will never convict you of sin because God has already forgiven those sins. God doesn't convict me of something I did 20 years ago that I repented of and was cleansed from. Well, the same way he won't convict me of something I do today. In fact, he sees me always as perfect in his sight and is always thrilled with me and singing my praises. I mean, these are quotes and paraphrases from different hypergrace teachers. Well, what, what are the problems that come from that? Well, you can't deal with people about sin, short and simple. Uh, you can't say to me, Mike, you know, we're buddies, but, but I just want you to know the way you've been losing your temper and, and, and treating your family is, is wrong. Is, is there something else going on in your life? Well, now you're just trying to lay a trip on me, man. That, that's just behavior modification. I'm righteous in God's sight. Now, that may be an extreme example. Mm. And in other words, hypergrace people may say, no, no, you don't understand. This teaching of grace has helped me overcome sin. And in many cases, it's true because hypergrace teachers rightly emphasize that grace is not just God's mercy, but his empowerment to live a holy life. But when you preach that, that God sees us as perfect, that the Holy Spirit will never convict me of sin, that I don't have to confess my sin, and on and on, that some say there's nothing you can do to ever disappoint God. Well, this opens the floodgates wide for all kinds of apostasy, uh, for, for justifying all kinds of wrong behavior, because after all, we don't want to get religious and legalistic. And then it also <clears throat> opens the floodgates for, uh, for a resisting of a lot of biblical truth. 
Consequently, whole portions of Scripture have to be eliminated as no longer relevant. For example, the teaching of Jesus before the cross is generally understood in hypergrace circles to be only for the Jewish people that lived at that time and not for the church wow. today. So the Sermon on the Mount would be considered very dangerous if taken as applying to believers today. I even have an incident in my book where a hypergrace teacher had to liberate a woman from the Sermon on the Mount because it got her in this, this hung up, condemned feeling again where she was thinking, there's something wrong with me, I fall short. And uh, what I found is that many folks in the hypergrace camp are hypersensitive. Now, I don't mean that in an insulting way. Let me clarify. Uh, I might blow it in some royal way. I'm, on, I'm driving on the, on the road, and some car cuts me off, and I lay on the horn and, and, and get real close to him. You know, act like a jerk. And then, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then I'll pull up next to that person at the light and say, sorry for laying on the horn. And I go on my day. I'm fine. I don't think twice about it. I know I'm forgiven. I tried to make it right with the person. Okay. There are other people that would be troubled by that for days. I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to love my neighbor. How could I do that? I disappointed the Lord. They look at the word that says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. And every day they think, I'm not doing enough. I prayed for six hours today, but I, I could have been helping my neighbor with their lawn because they're sick and their lawn's growing. And, and you know, I had an opportunity to witness and, and I didn't. And they live under this constant cloud of condemnation. When they hear the hypergrace message, the truths of it are very liberating for them. The errors don't affect them negatively because they love Jesus and want to please him anyway. So there are many good testimonies. <clears throat> and I, in, in writing my book, Hyper Grace, I was very jealous to preserve the, the truth yeah. of the message because I love grace. And, and, and the last thing I'm going to do is react against grace. I stand by grace as much as you do and all of us do. And yet exactly. the error is so serious. I've had international leaders who work with leaders around the world tell me it's the number one issue they're dealing with in the church across the world, the era of yeah. hyper grace. It's really interesting because, of course, I think it sounds to me like, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but that they're sort of almost confusing justification and sanctification to use, you know, theological language that actually, you know, we are justified. And I would argue that's once and for all. But, you know, the sanctification is an ongoing work and justification is something that God does to us and we don't have to really do anything. I mean, we respond in faith, obviously. Um, but that sanctification, we're very much involved in. And actually, you know, I mean, what about what Paul says? I mean, he says, look, you know, live worthy of the calling that you've received. I mean, I guess they would be unhappy with, with, with that, you know? Yes, the idea of living worthy, and I have a large section in my Hypergrace book about the calling to walk worthy. It is grace with responsibility. Uh, but your point about justification and sanctification, they're much more forthright about that. Uh, for example, Clark Witten says the idea that sanctification is progressive is a murderous lie. Wow. And, and that the reformers got justification right, but got sanctification wrong. Now, I have no problem with the reformers being wrong. Uh, they're fallible people like everyone else. Yeah, I'm presuming and, you have a few issues with Calvin. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I, and, and, and with Luther as well. And of and course, they, actually, we, we all do because, I mean, you're, you're a Baptist like me. I mean, you know, so they were wrong about that. And... Yeah, it, it, ex exactly. Uh, 
so for those who didn't catch the Baptist part, it doesn't mean part of a Baptist church, because but but yeah. adult baptism. Yeah. Adult baptism but, yeah. but but anyway, yeah, they are very strong. That's one of their big points. They say the moment you are saved, not only are you fully justified once and for all, but you are fully sanctified once and for all. And therefore, there is nothing to add to that. Where Scripture says plainly, the moment we're saved, we are sanctified. First Corinthians six eleven and other passages, you, you've been sanctified. You're not who you used to be, right? Yeah. So the moment I'm saved, God puts me in the category of the holy. That's why we're called saints, holy ones, not sinners. Is a general way that we're addressed in the New Testament. And we are called to walk that out. 1 Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God for you, even your sanctification. 1 Peter 1, be holy in all of your conduct. Hebrews 12, pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 2 Corinthians 7, let us perfect holiness in the fear of God. Mm -hmm. So sanctification is past. The moment we're saved, we're set apart as holy. It's present. We are now called to live this out and walk this out and grow in holiness in our conduct and, and attitude and character. And then it will be future when we are perfectly sanctified with our resurrected bodies and we'll never sin again or, or have a desire to sin again. That is a core issue. Again, a whole chapter in, in my book, are we sanctified already or not? How does that work yeah, itself out? And that's a key, key oh. issue in the hyper-grace camp. They would say that you are now miss, mixing grace with works. You, you are now saying that, that God saved me by his grace, but now I have to become holy by my works, whereas what Scripture says is walk worthy of the yeah. calling. It's, it's, we're yeah. not justified by our best efforts, but we are called to grow, to put to death the deeds of the body, to put on godly character. It's the gospel. Yeah, and I mean, what, what it says as well is that, you know, look, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But it's interesting, it says, for Christ is at work in you. And it's like, we can't have just one half of that verse. And I, I do worry that there are some people that latch on to one half or the other. So maybe I guess they don't know, well, the spirits at work in you, you don't have to do anything. Let go and let God, and that's not helpful. But then there are those who do become frankly legalists. And, you know, you, you, they worry me as well. It's like, oh, I'm not going to have a TV. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And, and I think there are some people that, that miss on the other side too. So I guess we swing with reaction to reaction. Yeah, and, and again, when, when I hear from hypergrace people or interact, a lot of them are, one, as I said, hypersensitive. And I don't mean that in an insulting way. If they're hypersensitive in terms of they can't receive criticism, well, that, that's negative for me or for you or for them. But, but many of them are very sensitive they, uh, one, one gentleman came up to me after I preached on this, and he said, all my life as a believer, I've had it hanging over me, not good enough. Not yeah. good, whatever you do is not good enough. That You're not good enough. Well, they need to understand the message of grace, and, yeah. and I'd be the first to preach it and amen it. Uh, with it, I've also seen people who've come out of churches that were really legalistic yeah. and, and, and really tried to make people holy from the outside in. I define legalism as externally imposed religion, laws without love, rules without relationships, Mm. standards without a savior. So people are often reacting against legalism, and I appreciate that. What's really blessed me is hearing from readers of the book or, or looking at reviews on Amazon from folks who say, I now understand grace having read your book. I have been delivered from legalism. I now understand the love of the Father through reading your book. Yeah. So, so my book is for grace lovers, 
not grace haters. Right, and yes. yet, sure enough, you get the one-star review from the people bashing the book. Either they've read a critique yeah. of my book or they've read my book in a cursory way for the most part. And it's very similar to what I get, say, with my newest book, Can You Be Gay and Christian? Yeah. People read it, blessed by it, changed by it, and then the ones that are just going to react against it. And, and it's a similar thing in terms of hypersensitivity to correction. So again, yeah. my hope is that even if they reject my correction, that they will make a course correction of their own. And rather than steering off in, into the side of, of spiritual anarchy, <clears throat> because you can't correct and you can't rebuke yeah. and you, you can't use the word to do that. We throw out the words of Jesus and, and we throw out most of the Old Testament. Well, and, and lots of the letters as well, let's be honest. I mean, there's loads of it that you have to cut out if you're going to do that. Uh, of course, or you have to just reword it in such yeah. a way that every word is couched on 20 minutes of praise and encouragement and love, 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 and one little second of minor correction. That's, yeah. not, that's not the New Testament. We have to throw out or radically reinterpret the words of Jesus in Revelation yeah. 2 and 3. And, you know, uh, Joseph Prince, who would be the acknowledged leader today in the movement with his TV ministry and his massive church in Singapore and his best-selling books touching a lot of people, I'd first say there's so much he says it's wonderful. I mean, yeah. great insights on grace, and, and I'm jealous for people to grab those. And some of those I've written about and preached for years. It hasn't been my main message like it's been his, of course. But, but I affirm so many of those. But then I'll hear some statements and read things that, that are just plain wrong. For example, he's, he, he said that there's not a single verse in the New Testament that says that the Holy Spirit convicts believers. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't condemn believers. We understand that. But the Greek word elenko, which is the word used in John 16, that when, the Holy, that when Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. That word elenko is just the word often used for rebuke or yeah. correct in the New Testament. So Revelation 3.19, this is Jesus speaking by the Spirit. Right, A few verses later, 3.22, this is what the Spirit says to the church. Revelation 3.19, Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke yes. and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. It's the same word there, elenko. So he, yeah. this is what God in his love does for us because sin is bad. Sin is destructive. Sin is ugly. Sin is evil. And because God loves us, if we give place to it, if we play games with it, the Holy Spirit comes to convict us. Well, you're right. And I mean, I spoke yesterday on Father's Day, um, and I, I liken the fact that, you know, God is our father. And, and I spoke about the fact that as a father, sometimes as a human father, we, we really struggle with knowing, you know, when to be not harsh, but firm, you know, when to express tough love, discipline, and when to be compassionate. And sometimes we can make mistakes on that. But, you know, God is our father. And of course, you know, when your own child, even as a human father, uh, goes astray, you know, well, there's two things. Firstly, you still love them. You know, so in that sense, these hyper grace people are right. You know, God is absolutely dis displeased absolutely. in the absolute sense. You know, he uh -huh. still looks at you and he sees Jesus as well. That's my boy. You know, but but actually at the same time, you know, what father's not going to say stop as his child runs into a road or is going to you know discipline that child in some way to actually teach them and to train them and to correct them and rebuke them. And in fact, the scriptures in Proverbs talks about, you know, how a father doesn't do that. He doesn't love his child. So, you know, it's very much the love of God that that rebukes and disciplines us, really. And I, and I think, to me, we, we're missing that. You know, so, I mean, a father, a good father, will look at their son and say, look, I will always love you. He, you know, even if you go to prison and no one else wants to visit you, I will come and visit you, you know, and that, I, that love will never go, no matter what you do. 
but that doesn't mean that it doesn't matter what you do, you know? Yes. And again, hypergrace folks would say, well, there are consequences to our sins and things like that. But contrary to your view as a Reformed Christian, that the proof of one's salvation is persevering in holiness. Hmm. And if someone falls away and <clears throat> dies in an unrepentant state, then that would indicate they were never truly saved. And my view, that it would be possible for someone to forfeit their salvation. The hypergrace view would say, no matter what happens in that person's life, once saved, always saved, which hmm. is a, a very different viewpoint. And although none of the teachers that I've heard condone sin, I haven't heard of one of them, a say that, that sin is not bad or ugly, but when it's mixed in with the other uh, uh, positions that they have and sin being deceitful as it is and, and human beings being sometimes frail, uh, w when temptation comes, if you have it in your head, hey, no matter what, I'm still saved, and no matter what, it can't affect my relationship with God, that, that's, that's a real problem. One other thing, hyper-grace teachers are right that we are in the forgiven column that we've gone from unforgiven to forgiven yeah. we've gone from the damned condemned to justified so so there's been that that transformation so if i confess my sin to god it's not for salvation it's john 13 it's just my feet getting washed because i've already been cleaned head to toe it's it's as i walk in this world as i walk in the light first john 1 7 that that even while walking in the light, I'm still getting purified from sin. It's ongoing in the Greek because we're not perfect. Walking in the light does not mean perfection. It means if I sin, I turn from it and I keep moving forward in the Lord. So we are in the forgiven category. That's true. God deals with us as forgiven children, but he has not already pronounced our future sins forgiven. That's transacted as we walk with him. That's transacted as things go on. And, and, even beyond that, relationally, I asked one hypergrace adherent, I said, if you sinned against your wife, you, you were nasty to her, and you spoke harshly to her, and you walked out the house and slammed the door, you come home two hours later, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to get right with your wife. You're going to say, honey, I sinned. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I acted like an animal. There's no just, you know, I love you. And, you know, and I, I realize why I did that. You don't deserve it. You're going to have that talk because your relation, it's, you're not going to get married again. You're not going to take vows again. You're yeah, married. Yeah. Right. And I said, would you do that with your wife? He said, of course. I said, would you do that with God? He said, no, I have a different relationship with God. That shocked me. Yeah, And especially with all the marital image, Christ in the church in the New Testament, sure. uh, God in Israel in the Old Testament, that sense of intimacy and closeness, I couldn't imagine that, that even if God had said to me, you're already forgiven for all your future sins, even if he had said that, all right, which is not scriptural, but even if he had, I would still relationally want to have a talk sure. with him about it and tell him I'm sorry for, for doing that. Because exactly. when I sinned against my wife, I sinned against him. Uh, and that's, that is a strange thing. There's a, a theological truth or untruth they're putting forward that actually is non-relational in the name of grace. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very sad. But you know what I, I really like about <clears throat> that, you know, the book? I mean, I, to be honest, I never managed to finish it because um, I've been busy with a few other things. But um, I read quite a chunk of it, you know. I appreciate and that, and, that. And what I've read um, so far, and I do intend to try and finish it, is is – I, I love your tone. I mean, there is a genuinely gracious tone. You know, one of the things that worries me is that 
some people who claim to love grace the most and teach grace and teach the doctrines of grace really don't show it. And yet you are very keen to show grace and to show appreciation and to strain out the good, you know, in, in ministries that perhaps others would just reject as being, you know, completely wrong and bad and evil, you know? Well, I, I'm glad that, that you recognize that. And it was from the heart. In other words, that was not some political posturing. It was from the heart. It was recognizing brothers and sisters in the body. It was recognizing the good that, that many of them do and, and the truth content of, of the message. Yeah. I've been criticized for not being harder on them. Yeah. I've been criticized for not calling them out as, as heretics. Uh, but the fact is, if we're brothers and sisters, we're not heretics. Uh, that's yeah. my understanding, that, that a heretical doctrine is a damnable doctrine, right. not a difference within the body. Some have gone to that extreme. Right. Some have gone off the deep end. Uh, and, and to be candid, I wrestled for months with whether I should, quote, name names or not. And, and while ministering in India, I really felt the Lord speak to me plainly. You know exactly what you need to do. While praying with several hundred Indian pastors, church planters one day, I really felt the Lord speaking that to me. But to me, it's a positive for unity yeah. because I'm not slamming people. I'm saying, hey, I thank God for Joseph Prince, and I thank God for Paul Ellis, and I thank God for Clark Witt and Steve McVeigh in the midst of my differences, and I thank God for the truth of the message they're bringing that's, that's helping many. But this way I can be surgical. See, yeah. if I just, what, I've, what I find problematic is those on the other side will, uh, and I hate to use such broad terms, but on the hyper-grace camp, have, have been some of the nastiest people I've ever dealt yeah. with. And, yeah. and I'm not talking about the leaders whose names I just mentioned, but people that are, that are following them and others on social media and some of the lesser-known teachers have been some of the most nasty, abusive people, mm. full of accusation absolutely lacking grace to the point I've challenged them. If you're so full of grace, why are you so mean-spirited, angry, and judgmental? I have a whole chapter on that saying, can yeah. we please step higher? So to me, I'm saying, okay, by naming names, I'm now saying, here's where I differ specifically with this person on this issue as yeah. a brother within yeah. the body. If I just make broad statements without identifying people, because I do have a certain platform through radio and run. Now people are going to run with that in a way that's more divisive. Look, look, you read straight, uh, Authentic Fire or parts of that. Yeah, it was, I read the whole of that. Okay, thank you. Uh, I love yeah, that. In fact, yeah, you endorsed that, so you I did sure read all did. of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, even in that book, From the Heart, I wrote it honoring John MacArthur, and although I took a strong exception to certain things and systematically said, here's where I believe you're in serious error, yeah. it was still with esteem towards him as a brother. And then what I tried to capture in a chapter on, on right, lane, uh, right brain, left brain, spirit and truth was, okay, how can I help you? How can you help me? Yeah. Maybe yeah. your weak spot is my strong spot. My strong spot is your weak spot. So that's still the posture. God showed me many, many years ago that I was not God's man, that yeah, I was not yeah. the man that's going to fix it all. So I will try to surgically address what I need to address and recognize, hey, we all have blind spots. So one other <clears throat> issue that I've um, noticed recently um, is uh, there's been a, a bit of a eruption in the Gospel Coalition. And, and to be fair, I haven't really followed this enough. I don't know whether you've looked at it. There's a guy called, I think it's Trillion, somebody or other. Uh, and I know there's some arguments there about sanctification. Uh, obviously, you haven't read it. You haven't read it. but And I haven't read enough, to be sure. But the, the little I did read, it sounded a little bit like some of the same ideas you, you were addressing in, in your book. So I just wondered if, 
uh, whether you'd seen that at all. Um, no, no. Because it's I, not a name you mentioned. I noticed that. I did go, I got my Kindle copy and, and I searched to see whether this guy's name was in your book to sort of see whether it was the same or, or whether I, would, I, I was mis misrepresenting that. No, well, in fact, my, my book took a number of representative leaders. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, I've been accused of misrepresenting hypergrace teachers, but that's, again, a reason I quote specifically, yeah. and I quote in context. You know, my academic background has taught me to yeah. do that, to quote fairly and in context. So I took representative leaders. I did not try to have a comprehensive yeah. academic treatise to say, okay, I'm going to footnote everyone that's taught on this. So, in fact, Dr. Paul Ellis wrote a critique of, of my book, which I wrote to him privately, thanked him for it, felt other parts were very unfair and very misleading. At some point, I'll just write a response, just put it online, probably yeah. for free, a response, and just for the sake of, of better understanding. But he gave a whole list of hypergrace teachers that I didn't teach, uh, that right. I didn't quote. So that was fully understood. What I tried to do was quote the ones that I'm hearing about and hearing from yeah, the most true. today, but, especially in the States. Have you heard anything about this Gospel Coalition? Uh, no, sir. On that? No, okay, fine. So we'll, we'll leave that one because we're both ignorant on that one. But I, I think at the very least, you know, they were arguing about the same things, even if it's not, you know, uh, uh, the, the exact same thing because it was a, it was a debate about, about sanctification and, and the use of law and all these things. And I think there are certain things that come up. And, I mean, it's, it's funny, isn't it, because... I think the truth on this is sometimes so close to error. I mean, Paul says, doesn't he? Look, and, and I know Lloyd-Jones used to love to quote this, that, that Paul, Paul says, look, you know, uh, what should we say then? Should we, should we sin, no, you know, should we sin that grace, more that grace may abound? And, and, and actually, uh, what Lloyd-Jones says about that is he says, well, if you haven't been asked that question, right. then you're not teaching grace. Uh, and of course, you know, Paul has an immediate answer, which is by no means, you know, we must put it off. And so, you know, I'd be interested to know what the hypergrace people think of what Paul says there. But it's interesting that actually, you know, the real message of grace is so wonderful. It is so all-encompassing. It is so glorious that the temptation is to then go, what should we do? Should we, grace, you know, sin more? And I think, so I, I can see where people take that and then go a step too far is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I quote, uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, that uh, passage in the book. Oh, uh, well, that makes me happy. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think the book needs to be read just for that. Forget it. Just for that, exactly. And, and he's quoted. He's a good brick, you know? Yeah, that, that is basically quoted by almost everyone in the hypergrace camp as a leader to say, we're being accused the same way that, yeah. that Paul was being accused, the same way that Lloyd Jones said you'd be accused, the same way he'd say, for example, a Catholic teacher would not be accused yeah. because they would have a different system or a different approach. But here's, here's the problem with that. Uh, Paul was accused of it and addressed it categorically, overwhelmingly, clearly. Yeah. In such a way that we need not be accused of it if we preach everything he preached. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and there's no accusation that Peter was accused of it, for example, or that James or Jacob yeah. was, was accused of it. So the, the proof to me is not that I'm being falsely accused. That's not how I measure the accuracy of my message, sure. but rather seek to line it up against the word. That being said, in, uh, as a, a Jewish believer in Jesus, I've been interacting with and debating rabbis for over 40 years now, and that's one of the accusations against yeah. our message. It's just instant, cheap forgiveness, yeah. because you can sin your whole life and then just ask God to forgive you through what Jesus did, and you're forgiven, and you go to heaven, and, and, and that somehow cheapens it or, or allows for sin. So all, all of us preaching the gospel yeah. on exactly. a certain level are going to be misunderstood. 
yeah. Jehovah's Witness is going to challenge us and, and say that that's what we're preaching yeah. because they have a works-based mentality. But there's no reason for me to be misunderstood if I preach everything that Paul preached. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or if the understand, misunderstanding comes, you can address it quickly. You know, that's the point. Yeah, exactly. And my, my challenge to my hyper-graced friends would be, are you addressing it as aggressively as Paul did? What I've seen some of them say is that's the most stupid thing you could say. I would never say that. But then they don't come with Paul's full answer. And yeah. they don't come with the full call to consider ourselves dead to sin and to offer the parts of our body uh, in, in holiness to the Lord as part of our sanctification process, the way it's worded in Greek in, in Romans, the sixth yeah. chapter. So again, as sanctified holy people we are now called to live out holiness in this world until the day we come to perfect holiness first thessalonians five twenty three, where paul prays for us to be completely sanctified spirit soul and body and and i don't understand honestly having read the literature having interacted uh, those who are criticizing my book are saying absolutely you got it right in terms of our view on sanctification we believe it is once for all the moment you're saved uh, they they have to reinterpret so many verses yeah. and try to rephrase so many verses. I don't understand why they can't say yes, as the church has taught for centuries, and as, as the great grace preachers like Spurgeon and others taught, yeah. that, that sanctification is past, present, and future. Exactly. It, it's beautiful, and it works, and it has nothing to yeah. do with my state of God loves me. Does, I was more sanctified yeah. today than yesterday. He likes me more today. He li No, no, no. We're his beloved children now exactly. walking worthy of being his kids. Yeah, I don't, I don't love my 17-year-old more than my 7-year-old, even though hopefully they've learned better behavior. I mean, you know, <laughs> some 17-year-olds haven't, of course. Yeah, I think you it's going to reverse sometimes. Yeah, it is. But you know what I'm trying to say? That, you know, you do want to see growth in your child. You want to see maturity. You want to see – but you love them. You know, you love them no matter what they do. And they're your kids. And they're your kids, and they don't stop being your kids, you know. But um, there you go. So, I mean, you know, in about a year, you've sort of tackled, uh, you know, the whole Holy Spirit issue in a book. Uh, you produced this book, um, God's uh, the Gay, which we won't talk about today. Um, and you produced this, you know, this book. That's, that's three books in about a year, isn't it? Or is it less than a year, I think? Uh, actually, um, Authentic Fire came out in December, Hyper Grace in January, and Can You Be Gay and Christian in May? Wow. So, so what's next? A break, or have you got something else in in the pipeline? Oh, oh no. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I love to write. I'm called to, and I thrive yeah. in it. Um, on the one hand, I write three or four new articles every week. Yeah. Uh, so, if folks are on my website, askdrbrown.org. Click on latest article, or just connect with me on social media. Uh, three or four new articles every week. Uh, so, as you're blogging constantly, I'm I'm writing articles. Uh, I'm in the midst of a commentary in the Book of Job, which is a several year project. Wow. Uh, really trying to deal with the, the problem of suffering and, and even the, the modern atheist attacks on, on the faith and trying to incorporate that in the commentary on Job. And then uh, a book basically on where things are going with the gay revolution. Yeah. Um, we, we, oh, so we, there's a second book then. You've got yeah, one on the gay. Yeah. yeah, I have a queer thing happened to America, yeah. which is 700 pages, 1,500 endnotes, basically saying, here's where we've come so far. I, I look at, at England as well. I look at some mm. other countries. But this is something now saying, okay, where is this going, and how are we to respond, and is God going to act in the midst of it? So it, it's going to be a book that's going to instill a lot of hope in the midst of of the, the real shocking turns in our society that, that you face there in England, 
uh, and that we face here in America? Well, you know, we're, we're coming to the end of our time. And as much as I'd love to open another can of worms, we've talked about two cans of worms <laughs> on this call already. You certainly seem to be someone who's happy to talk about cans of worms. I don't think you, you seek it, but you, you're willing to do it when it's, you feel it's needed. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it, listen, it's, it's calling. We, we each have it. But again, it is not with the goal of I'm going to set everybody right because I'm God's answer man. Uh, and, I, and, and I use that term not to point at anyone else, not to speak of anyone else, but these are issues. Teaching, correcting is a major part yeah. of New Testament ministry and a major role for shepherds. And uh, behind the scenes, I'm always trying to reach out. I'm always trying to interact, sometimes confront, yeah. but, but trying to have those dialogues for the sake of better understanding. And then when it comes to the fact we've got a massive world full of Muslims and Hindus yeah. and Buddhists and atheists and others, hey, we're brothers Let's, let's reach out together. But I am burdened by these things, and, and I am called to, to address them. And hopefully I can do it in a way that brings grace and truth together and that is always striving for unity in the midst of our differences. Well, that's beautiful. And I think it's so critical, actually, that uh, we, we realize. I, I think, you know, some pastors still probably think that, you know, they, they are, how can I put it, they're the sole source of, of, of their people's kind of theological training, that, you know, the old idea that the pastor was the teacher uh, and that was the person they listened to. And, and maybe they read a couple of books that the pastor recommended. I think that's long gone. Most people are on the internet. And the internet is good in, in many ways because it gives us the opportunity uh, to learn from one another across camps and across divides. Uh, but it's bad because it gives us the opportunity to learn from one another and across camps and across divides if we don't do that in a discerning way. So, you know, I thank God for, thank God for, your, God for, your, for your kind of to bolster discernment. And I, I really hope that, you know, the pastors that maybe uh, haven't heard of you, um, some of them perhaps from, from me, because one of the things that's interesting is the degree of overlap, despite all this internet stuff, is less than we sometimes think. So, you know, the, yeah. the number of people who, who read me, who, who perhaps don't read you, would be higher than you'd think, I think. You know, I think anyone who reads me should read you personally. <laughs> so, but there you go. Yeah, but th thank you, though. Thanks for the, for the warm words. And I've, I've been really blessed to, to interact with you to see your spirit uh, in, in putting these things forward. And you graciously allowed me to take a lot of quotes from, from your book on, on how the resurrection changes everything. Yeah, yeah, just about the living God and our relationship with him in my authentic fire book. So, so I've been enriched by it. Hopefully, folks that know me that don't know you will get to connect. And we yeah, can well, I hope that's right. I hope that's right. And it's funny, you know, because it, I, I don't know if it still is, but someone in, in the in the middle of all of that strange fire thing said to me, sent me a net message and said, Adrian, you do realize that they're selling Race with Christ um, in, in the Grace to You bookshop, you know? And of course they sell uh, Wayne Grudem's excellent systematic theology there, which would be much more in keeping with your authentic fire than his strange fire. So, uh, you know, I guess that's interesting. Uh, there you go. And look, some of their leaders that were involved with Strange Fire said, look, uh, I love your apologetics work, you know, answering Jewish yeah. objections to Jesus and a queer thing happened to America. But, uh, you know, now I'm having mixed feelings about using it. So it's like, hey, use the stuff you like, the stuff you don't like, don't use it. Let's just serve each other as best as we can. Amen. Well, it's lovely to hear you. And I know you've got a radio show to prepare for, for so I better let you go. And thank you very much for giving us so much of your time. And I uh, really appreciate it. And it'll be online shortly. Um, and uh, hopefully, you know, people from both our camps can, can watch it and, and, and enjoy and learn. And uh, if nothing else, be made aware of this hyper grace um, issue that is, is obviously a, a real one to, to address. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.